Well, good afternoon, everybody, and happy Tuesday, happy post-Halloween, and I hope everybody had a fun and safe Halloween as well. Lots to talk about regarding Halloween. I heard a couple of stories of people starting too soon. What is the start time for trick-or-treaters? I thought it was, if you have real young kids, like toddlers, like I do, 5 o'clock, I don't know, because yes, have dinner at 6, you know? There's a World Series game. At, no, it was postponed, so it was a free-for-all. But um, too early? I heard somebody as early as 4.47 in the afternoon, and most people aren't home by then, I guess. So, um, And then just all the stories about how many kids were out. Uh, listening to Kathy Kennedy today on Connecting Winnipeg and just 250, 300 kids to a home. That is a massive amount of children and a massive amount of candy to be handed out. And I did have to drop some stuff off around the south part of the city last night. And as I was doing it, there were some neighborhoods that just, you couldn't even drive down the side roads because there were so many people out and enjoying it. And um, I heard somebody call in and talk about the, or the text in to 780-6868 about the fire in the garage. And I saw that, like, I don't know if it was a real fire or a fake fire or just a, um, one of those portable ones, but there was seemed to be parents dressed up in the garage, garage door open, neighbors coming by, having some beverages, just enjoying themselves and kids walking up and down the street. It just seemed like a much more normal Halloween than given the past two years, of course. So I hope everybody out there had a good and safe one by all means. And uh, we'll take your Halloween stories, what you saw and what you um, experienced and how it was and how many kids you had in other homes. I-, I don't know. Like, I think my own in South Winnipeg had like 30 kids. I don't know. But I was had to deliver some stuff, as I said. So um, I wasn't home for the whole time. But overall, we had a, a little bit of candy left. I know last year we didn't. But last year we just put out a sign that said, help yourselves. It was a pandemic. And people did and knocked on the window and said thank you as they, they did. So it was a good time. I hope you all had a, a safe Halloween. I don't want to make light of this, but that rager of a party that these teenagers had, I think is a newsworthy item here. There's so many storylines coming out of that that house. And there's so many angles that have been covered this morning on 680 CGOB. We're going to revisit them. And one of them is, what is with our human nature that when you go to a party like that is to wreck things? What is with that? And the start had somebody on this morning, and it's uh, Christopher Schneider. We're going to hear from him about the mob mentality and everything else. I have, I, I still am, am, you know, baffled by like when the Vancouver Canucks lose the Stanley Cup and people riot. I understand that you're upset and there's alcohol involved or what, what not, but you're upset. You do things, but I still don't get that. The idea that, and this goes back to my own day. 80-some years ago when I would go to house parties, maybe even longer, 100 years ago. But I used to see the same thing. Like, I don't understand going to a house party where several different high school student bodies are involved. And the idea is, hey, let's wreck this. Um, So we're going to hear from uh, Christopher Schneider on this from the University of Brandon. I'm going to run some clips on that. But uh, so there's that angle. There's the other angle that apparently this house has been sold and it's going to change possession today. And it's destroyed. And so uh, Kathy Kennedy talked to a realtor, not about this specific um, uh, incident with this home, but also just the general generalities of selling a house and the possession date and then something happens to it and what the legalities of that and all around it. 
And then the other aspect that we're going to touch on this story or another storyline coming out of it from Christopher Schneider is the idea of filming this and mob mentality and putting it on social media and being able to find this. So uh, I don't know how many kids aren't in school and listening to this program right now, but um, I hate to be the old man because, trust me, I've been to my ragers in my time as well and enjoyed every minute of it. I still raised an eyebrow and said, why are you putting a hole in that wall or wrecking this? Because it doesn't make sense to me. I was that guy, but also had a blast at several of these over the years. Um, But uh, stop it. Like, the destroying of an RCMP vehicle is ridiculous. And I think some parenting needs to be involved in this, but I also um, think that a lot of parents would be mortified to know that their child did this. And I think a lot of children would be mortified that if their parents knew that they behaved this way. But it's a party and things happen. But this is so many storylines, and we're going to delve into all of those. But the idea of filming it, I, with social media, have a, um, I'm not going to say love-hate, because I don't love it, and I don't absolutely hate it. But I have a like-dislike with it, for sure. Um, I, I use it for information, I get it. But the idea has always been lost on me about social media. And this is interesting that Twitter has gone to Musk and everything else. And it's my own personal opinion. But if you're out having an outstanding time, I don't to this day understand why you stop having that outstanding time to try and show people what an outstanding time you're having. I personally would just continue on with my outstanding time and live in the moment and enjoy it. The idea that we all now in certain generations have to stop and film everything. The one thing about social media that I detest is when somebody is being harmed or robbed or physically abused, and we film it as opposed to helping that person or trying to de-escalate the situation. That's just me personally. But I'm going off on a tangent here. We're going to focus on this and this party and this rager from a realtor's aspect of it, of a sold house, also the mob mentality and the filming of it as well, as we said with Christopher Schneider, because there's so many angles coming out of this idea. But I just, I'll be honest with you, we've been talking a lot about law enforcement. Uh, Winnipeg Police Service are going to talk about some other things with me. I just feel bad for these police officers when the RCMP vehicle is being destroyed, when they're racial slurs. Um, they, they stopped a sexual assault from happening with high school kids. Uh, this party is disgusting with the way it went and the idea that racial slurs and destroying of police vehicles being spat on um it just bothers me like there's just that lack of respect coming out of this story as well that that bothers me with law enforcement and what they they have enough to deal with right now uh speaking of that like i said winnipeg police service are going to join me jay murray is going to talk about another homicide and that unfortunately is the record breaker it happened last night he'll join me in the next segment danny mckinnon of the winnipeg police service will also join me about the halloween candy And this is the other problem about it. It's funny how old I am, and I I think back to that when I was young, and there was an incident in Alberta where I grew up where there was razor blades and an apple. And I hate even saying this on the air because I just think that somebody out there might get this idea. But now we've gone from sort of that things on who would give that out to somebody as a kid, and I remember this story circulating as a child and how that's what began the whole my parents going through every single item I brought home in a Halloween bag to the fact that there's a narcotic now um, in Halloween candy and self-tuxedo. So Danny McKinnon is going to speak to that. 
as well. It's also the beginning of November. It's my 13th campaign, and we're going to embark on it. I already have some uh, colleagues here at 680 CJOB that are going to jump on board. We have some listeners. Uh, last year, Hal Anderson and I had a blast with it, challenging each other and raising a bunch of money for a great cause. I'm going to reach out to Hal. I'm pretty sure he's going to join again this year. Well, I shouldn't speak for him. I'll find out. But some other people, uh, Skyler Peters, Cam Poitras, if you listen to Jets at Noon. But we're going to talk to Movember Canada because I think it's just time for an update on, on Movember, how it's grown, what the history of it is, the great causes, and how those causes have grown in different directions, but also where the money goes to it if you want to support that great cause. And then we will get a 680 CGOB Team Together page that you can donate to any one of us or the team itself or join, and please do. And most sisters, there's a motion aspect to this as well, where you can commit to doing 60 kilometers of physical activity, either walking or running in the month at your own pace to recognize the 60 suicides an hour we experience in the world on the planet for men. And as we uh, focus on not only testicular and prostate cancer awareness, but also mental health awareness and suicide prevention, most sisters can get involved that way. Uh, there's a lady here at work that told me she's not going to shave her legs for a month and jump on board. That's great. There's another lady here at work that says she does it every winter for six months, so she'll jump on board as well, which I just think that's a Winnipeg winter. So thank you for that. We'll let you know how you can get involved. And all genders are more than welcome this year. We're also going to talk to a local author who has a unique book out about her father and take your text at 780-6868 as well. But out of the gate, another homicide and some drugged Halloween candy is going to lead our show off in the next segment with the Winnipeg Police Service. So again, with the Halloween candy being found or given out in South Tuxedo with narcotics in it, we're going to talk to Constable Danny McKinnon in just mere moments about that. But we do want to let you know, if you received any of this, by all means, send us a text at 780-6868 or call in. We'd love to talk to a parent or somebody who received one of these um, and get more to it and maybe help in the investigation a little bit as well. But first off, we welcome in from the Winnipeg Police Service a colleague of Danny's, Jay Murray, to talk about another homicide in the city. Jay, thanks for taking the time today. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Give us the details on this latest homicide because, well, let's just start with this latest one, Jay. Give us the details on it. Yeah, this is Halloween. Just about 2.30 in the morning, our officers responded to the 100 block of Johnson Avenue West uh, for the report of a male who'd been injured. Our officers found an unresponsive male uh, near a house um, the male was transported to hospital in critical condition, and unfortunately, he was pronounced deceased. Um, so his death is being investigated as homicide, and he's been identified as William Markowski, 47, and we're asking anyone with information to contact the homicide unit. And when you say it was called to this, and I, I heard you on earlier, Jay, when you were talking about the numbers and, and uh, the record that could be set, is this the record for homicides now? Well, we're tied right now. So uh, prior to 2019, we usually averaged about 20 to 25 a year. Um, and then 2019 happened. Uh, there was uh, really an unprecedented rise in violence. Um, and now the new average, unfortunately, is about 40 or 45. And I think we're on pace for over 50 this year. So um, we, we were hoping that wasn't the new normal. Uh, unfortunately, that those are the kind of numbers I think we've, we've come to expect now. So um, we're at 44, which ties 2019 the highest. And uh, I mean, statistically, I think we'll probably still have a few more this year, but we certainly hope that isn't the case. When you get a call like this in this instant and it said, uh, you know, being reported a male who had been injured, when those calls come in, um, is that just people, you know, noticing what was going on or is that people just finding somebody who's in need of assistance? 
Yeah, in, in this case, it was somebody that had uh, had noticed uh, something going on in the neighborhood, had, had identified a male that was likely injured. So um, that resulted in our response. When we got there, we, we initially actually confined this male. We had to use the canine unit to find um, the homicide victim uh, who was on the ground at a nearby residence. So um, that's that's what happened in this situation. Um, it's actively being investigated right now. And, and again, if anyone lives in that neighbor, neighborhood and, and is not yet spoken with investigators, we certainly encourage them to uh, to reach out. So you're asking for public assistance as well to call in and maybe just give those numbers again. Yeah, the homicide unit can be reached at 204-986-6508. But another option, and I think we, we tend to forget this at times, but you can also provide information absolutely anonymously to Crime Stoppers at 204-786-TIPS. They've also got a website, and you can receive money for that information as well. And I want to emphasize that number as well, Jay, because the way these numbers are, and we're tied for that record at 44 homicides now, that it's really important that that we as a society, I think, help when we can. And whether you want to be identified or not, there are those options to help solve these for the families. Absolutely. You know, I've I've been a big focus over the last few days about that number and how we've tied 2019. And um, it's really twofold, the impact. There's the impact to the community, to the family members who have lost a loved one. Um, and even the, uh, the family members, uh, you dive a little deeper, specifically children uh, that are kind of involved. Either they've lost a loved one or they're, they're kind of involved in some level. There's psychological effects that last for, for a long time. And I think we've all read excerpts from, from court uh, transcriptions that um, usually these homicides can have lasting effects on the development of, of, of young children. So um, there's that. There's, there's other, other issues. There's, I think the homicide number can contribute to a general feeling of insecurity in society. And um, so we're dealing with that. But there's also the, the, the strain on the resources of the Winnipeg Police Service. Homicide investigations are typically our most intensive. And we're faced with a number that we've really never seen before. Right. And that's the other aspect of this as well. And the families, as you mentioned, Uh, Jay, I appreciate this information. Thanks for uh, being on today. Thanks for having me. And now Constable Danny McKinnon of the Winnipeg Police Services joining us now too. Good afternoon, Danny. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Jim. Thank you as well. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Let's get into this Halloween candy story. Um, What happened and and what have you found? Uh, Last night and into this morning, uh, Winnipeg Police Service received a number of reports uh, at the time, approximately half a dozen reports of some THC packaged candies discovered in children's Halloween um, collection. Um, The marijuana edibles were packaged uh, and they looked like popular candy uh, that are called nerds. They were discovered in the children's bags after trick-or-treating in the South Tuxedo neighborhood. So uh, when you say disguised, um, how, how has this happened? Like somebody bought these in these packages or were they made in packages like this? Um, so I, I just want to clarify um, if I did use that word disguised. It's just discovered and they're made to look like popular candy uh, that are called nerds. Um, The packaging resembles the nerds candies that we all uh, know and that have become very popular over the years, but there is a THC component to them. And on on the labeling, it indicates that there's 600 milligrams of THC. And it also indicates that there's a 60 minute activation time. They call them medicated. So um, the company that produces these candies um, has not made these candies. Okay, so but the 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 packaging that they came in were probably bought and then just given out. 
Yeah, so just by way of background, any cannabis products um, that are legally sold in Canada at a cannabis store, uh, including edibles and candy types, which, which are available and are legal to purchase, they have to follow very specific labeling requirements. And, and those requirements can be found on the Government of Canada website um, to understand ca- how to read a cannabis product label. None of those requirements for labeling were on these packages. So at this particular juncture in the investigation, um, it's unclear as to where these products came from, whether they are a black market type of item or if somebody's created them on their own. Um, it does not appear to be something that would be sold in the stores. Okay, so that's what I was sort of asking. Yeah, sorry somebody... to clarify that. No, yeah. no, I appreciate that because I was wondering the same. If somebody had purchased these and just gave them out or if somebody actually went to the trouble of making these packages and giving them out. Um, so what kind of charges are, are you looking at and what, what are you sort of looking into with the investigation, Danny? So, you know, that's a little bit ways uh, down the road. Um, we are working diligently on this file. Uh, the West District General Patrol officers right out of the gates this morning have interviewed a number of people uh, at their homes who have made these reports and seized these items. Um, our major crimes unit investigators have now taken over um, the files that they receive to do further follow-up. It's too early to say what type of charges uh, could potentially be laid. We don't understand the motivation for this. We don't have a suspect at this particular time. Um, you know, but potentially, very loosely potentially, um, there could be some distribution to minor-related charges. Are you aware of any of these being consumed by children? We have not received any reports of that as of yet, and hopefully it stays that way. And it's just another great reminder that don't, you know, get lackadaisical with this Halloween or any Halloween that always check the bag before before your kids consume. Check the bag. And just to remind you, like these were very um, they were very much concealed because they were put in handmade uh, Ziploc sandwich bags, including other additional chocolate bars. So it looked like a nice, neat little package that somebody had very um, carefully, you know, put together for children who came to their doorstep. So hearing that, Danny, I'm just assuming don't just check the bags, but check the actual candy wrappers themselves as yeah, well. Yeah, you really should. You should just open everything. And then we just wanted to say that if anybody has any information in general about this, or if you have located some of these THC edibles, and you should please make a report, but what you need to do is just not handle the packaging too much, just maybe by the corner, put it somewhere safe until the police can come and seize this and interview you. That's what I was going to end with is just how you want if parents do check and and find some how to handle it. Just don't touch it too much and contact Winnipeg Police Service. Yeah, you know, we had done a couple social media posts really early this morning. Um, We've now updated the number to call. We'd like people to call directly to major crimes and that's 204-986-6219. We just really want everyone to be safe, but we'd like to get to the bottom of this uh, sooner than later as well. Really appreciate your time on this uh, as well, Danny. Thanks for this. Thank you very much, Jim. Thanks very much, Sarah, and thanks once again, Winnipeg Police Service. 780-6868 is our text line. I did get a text that said, Jim, you started talking about garage fire in Charleswood. Was there a garage fire in Charleswood? No, I appreciate you texting. 
Uh, I was talking about I was in South Winnipeg and had to drop some things off during Halloween, and I noticed so many people in different neighborhoods had their garage door open. Uh, owners of the house were in full costumes and had, like, um, little portable fireplaces with fires going where neighbors were coming and stopping by while the kids went door to door. So there wasn't a garage fire. I just noticed some fire in safely fireplaces in garages was seemed to be like the new thing um, and not in Charleswood. So, but thanks for texting in and uh, wanted to clarify that if I didn't, um, it seemed to be like a new thing. Like you get at Costco or something that you have these portable fireplaces now and people were staying warm in the garage was the kids were trick or treating. It was a uh, real, real nice to see how so many people out enjoying it. Uh, we're going to move on now from uh, that. Uh, going to hear about uh, some financial advice. Jackie Porter is a certified financial advisor, and she joins me now in a new study from PC Financial that majority of Canadians, 56%, feel they are not equipped with the advice needed to save for the future. Good afternoon, Jackie. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time and sharing some of your insight. Uh, what do you think when you see this PC financial uh, survey out that or um, study that shows 56% of Canadians feel they're not equipped with the advice needed to save for the future? You know, I think um, a big part of that is we're just the financial industry as a whole can do a better job of, of helping Canadians, making it easier for Canadians, especially in these uncertain economic times. And I think often it's educating people because, again, we don't learn about money in school. So often we're relying on, you know, who we kind of, you know, run into to, to learn the most important things we need to learn about money. And I, I think that a part of it, too, is um, Canadians need to know they have choices because if you're dealing with a big bank, for example, and you're, you know, thinking those are your only choices for where you can actually, you know, put your money. It's A, about making it easy to do, you know, something as essential as banking and staying on top of your money and tracking it, where every penny counts these days, (laughs) interest rates just go up and cost of living goes up. So I think working with, you know, an independent bank that's going to help you track where your money is going, check in on where your finances are at, Make it easy for you to just stay on top of all of these things is crucial, probably now more than ever. And I, I think, you know, banks like PC Financial, for example, are out there, you know, creating applications that are easier for people to use on the go, to, to check in on their spending and just hit their financial goals and, and even just become more confident about their financial future with resources to help them actually not just make smarter financial decisions, but get smarter about money, again, because of that lack of learning what's about money really anywhere. <laughs> so, and when I got, I mean, oh, go ahead, Jackie, go ahead. sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. No, that's, that's fine. I was just saying, like, it's, it's all contingent on where you learn about money. So it's nice to learn about money where you bank, right? Especially learn about really important financial concepts that will build your financial confidence. So I love the fact that PC Financial actually has a learning hub that you can learn about things like credit, really important things in this market. So when I was reading this report, and there's different aspects to it, um, one that stood out to me was 67% of younger Canadians, that's 18 to 54, know what they should be saving each month. So it also speaks to the original one about majority Canadians, 56% feel they are not equipped with the advice needed to save for the future. That also tells me that over half Canadians or 56% know they should be like, and what I'm trying to get to is, do you find most there's awareness of, of saving more so than we've seen in the past, but also just not knowing how to save? 
Yeah, and I think there's a generational gap with that. So you, you mentioned the fact that 60, 67% of younger Canadians, under 55, you know, they, they basically um, are not as confident as sticking to a budget. And I think that has a lot to do with um, FOMO, like the fear of missing out, social media, right? Um, I really think that FOMO is real, and there's a lot of temptation out there and, and I think that for, for younger Canadians, that gap of, you know, being held accountable for where their money is going is crucial. So really having tools available to them where they can track their spending, they can see where their money is going. So having, you know, tools like I, I love the fact that um, PC money, this is one of the things I actually used to recommend to my clients is, you know, load a load a, one of those um, gift cards, right? And, and then use the gift card when the money runs out, that's it, right? PC actually has, through PC Financial, the PC money account where you can load cash on that uh, PC money account. And once that money is gone, it's done. And you can kind of track, you know, all the, in all the different categories where your money's going. You can kind of see if you've kind of taken the wrong turn for the month and hopefully shift gears. And I, I think those kinds of tools are important, holding people accountable so that they, the goals they've set for themselves are, are the goals they're going to actually achieve. They still have a chance to do it before the month's over, and they check their account again, and they've gone over what they plan to spend. It's, it's different, though, with older Canadians. I, I find the, the survey point that, that I found really interesting was older Canadians. So 81% of older Canadians are much more confident about sticking to a budget, but at the same time, I think with older Canadians, they have a lot more practice, right? <laughs> like they've had experience. They know that yeah. they can't spend their money on too many coffees and then not be able to pay the rent or pay the mortgage or what have you, right? And they have other people they have to answer to, like their their kids and what have you. So I think with with older Canadians, I, I think the the thing that they worry about when it comes to financial goals is what if something happens that we don't predict, right? Like that really age old emergency fund, and we've all seen the importance of that because of COVID. And I, I think with older Canadians, it's really being able to look at their bank account, check it easily, make sure that, you know, money they're wanting to siphon off to those things like an emergency fund happen. And, you know, when that time comes, the money is available to them to use. I, I also love that idea of, you know, getting points. You know, I've, I've always been a big believer of points. So if you can get money for the money you're going to spend anyway, that's crucial, especially at this time. So that way, if you're going to buy that extra coffee or, you know, spend that, do that splurge, you're not digging that into that cash that you have that you want to use for something else. Are you friends with my mother, Jackie? Because this <laughs> buying the extra coffee I've heard about for 40 years now, and she's right, but it, it's sometimes as simple as that. And, and we're not talking about like just 19, 20-year-old people. We're talking about 45-year-olds that I think when inflation goes up like it has – all of a sudden looks at things and goes, good Lord, I do spend, you know, $83 a month on this. That, that's, that, well, I do those budgets. And sometimes that's the first time that, you know, I said, let's put pen to paper and let's see how much money you spend in the different categories. Because people will tell me they have these financial goals, but then money leaks out to coffee or, you know, it, they go to their, you know, they, subscriptions. I, I find that's a big one. And when we look at people's budgets, subscriptions for different things that they might not even be using anymore, right? Hello, Spotify, Netflix, right? And, and so if you can actually have all of those numbers come to you, not just when you do a financial plan, when it's important, but if you can see monthly, 
this is how much money that's bleeding out going to coffees or going to Netflix that I'm not really paying attention to. Is that really where I want my money to go? Like, let's be intentional about our right. spending goals and our savings goals. So this, I, I think if you, have, if, you have, if you have tools that can allow you to do that, that's crucial, especially now. Yeah, and, and also reading this study this morning from PC Financial, the other thing that stood out to me to ask you was, so there's 56%, um, and this is just one of the general numbers that was in the study, uh, are not equipped with the advice needed to save for the future. But I wanted to touch on if people, whether they're 18, 40, or 55, or 60, are, are listening to this and go, you know, I'm that way. I, I do know I need to save. I do know it's as much. I don't know how. What What do you recommend to those people who sit here and listen to this and go, I do want to start saving, or I know I should be, what's the first step? I think the first step is take the money out of the account. Set up an automatic savings program. That's how you're intentional, right? You start with the saving goal. Like, what do I want to save? Aim to save at least 10% of your money towards your savings goal, so your emergency fund, what have you. I think that's the crucial piece, and then live on the difference. It's easier to do that than... Let me, you know, spend first and then see what's left over to save. <laughs> right. A harder, and, and, a harder, harder path to, to follow. And for <laughs> those who want the advice, for those who go, you know, I, I do want the advice, but I don't know what's the first step for them. Like, who should they reach out to? What do you recommend? Yeah, I mean, there's so many options to get advice and everybody's circumstances are a bit different. I mean, definitely... The first thing is, you know, figure out what you need advice on. Where, where do you need help right now? If it's debt consolidation and you're, you're hurting there, there's a lot of, like, the Credit Counseling of Canada, Equifax, you know, um, I'm, I'm just thinking of, of a few offhand on how you can improve your credit or, in, you know, set up a debt strategy. Um, if you want to see a financial planner, FP Canada, who I'm an ambassador, I represent them as well. They basically, you can go on their website, search for a financial planner in the area that you need help. But figure out where you need help first. Start there, and and then and then really try to take action. Don't stay in your head around your finances or concerns you have at this time. The most important thing you can do right now is take action to improve your financial circumstances and ultimately improve your confidence. Because when you realize things are always worse in your head, when you realize, well, you know what, things aren't that bad. Those are the things that improve your confidence, and then you start doing more things that will help your financial situation, improving your confidence and making this whole journey of all of us becoming smarter about money a habit. I, I was going to wrap up because I'm out of time, but you make a great point there. The emotion of you know looking at it and, and having that fear and the sense of you're not where you're at, but then even a month later, if you did save even a little bit, it's the emotion of you're on a path, and, and that feels good, doesn't it? It does, because the, all of us are on a journey of becoming a lot smarter when it comes to money, and that's why, you know, Financial Literacy Month and shining a light on, on financial literacy is so important. You know, we, we can all be better. Let's have a plan for how we want to be better uh, tomorrow, the next day, the day after that. And it just starts with making that first step, taking action around becoming better with where you want your money to go. This has been making it work harder. Yeah, for sure. This has been great, Jackie. I really appreciate your time and your insight, and I owe you a coffee if we ever do meet in person, but I'll save for it. Yeah, save for it. I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for you to show you how share, use your points. We're, we're good. We're yes, good. exactly. I'll use my points to buy you a coffee. Jackie, thanks once again. This has been great. Have a great day. You as well. That's Jackie Porter. She's a certified financial advisor. Again, you can uh, check out the PC Financial uh, study on this, but you can also uh, check out Jackie uh, Team Jackie Porter at askjackie.ca.
So just before we get to the 2 o'clock news with Sarah and the second hour of the Jim Toth Show, uh, we're going to revisit this rager that happened over the weekend where the RCMP were involved and had some property destroyed. Um, the house has been sold and was supposed to change possession today. Uh, the legalities of that were addressed on Connecting Winnipeg with Kathy Kennedy earlier today. And she did that with Lee Ren, a REMAX executive's realty uh, on homeowner protection from parties. We'll start with Lee's opinion on what, if he's ever seen damage like the one at that East St. Paul party on the weekend. Not this particular uh, uh, drastic, as you will. Um, I mean, little, little things happen quite frequently, but this one, this one I'm not too familiar with as far as the amount of damage. I didn't see how much damage was done. But I can tell you one thing, um, like in our offer to purchases, it literally states, unless otherwise specified in this offer, the property and included items will be in substantially the same condition they were when the offer was written. So when the, whoever wrote the offer on this place or any place, the, the property has to be in the same shape as what they've seen in it. So we could probably assume that this house may not be in exactly the same shape that uh, – it was written when these folks wrote the offer. So, you know, they may, they may have a recourse here or they may decide to back out of the deal. I have no idea what, uh, what they're doing. I don't know uh, who's involved there. That is just another side story to this party that took place. And if you are the purchaser of that home, what you want to do and what the owner is currently doing to maybe try and fix things. Ali Ren also had this to say, and what kind of resources does the purchaser have in a situation like this? Well, yeah, like, again, I guess the um, the word substantially will come into play here. Now, if the home is really beat up, they, they have the option to literally most likely not take possession of the house. Now, the onus is on the owner of the house to make that house right and make it in the same shape as when they were representing it. That sounds like it might not be in this case. However, if the people... Um, maybe they've sold their house. Maybe they're from out of town. They got nowhere to go. They put all their eggs in this basket of moving in. Is it today? Now, wh- where are they going to go today? Like, what are these poor folks going to do today? That um, they're they're going to be out probably some money and some compensation. Maybe maybe entitled to them to come back to them. I can't imagine if you bought this house and it's in this condition. And like they said, that I would assume, and I'm just assuming, but the previous home you've sold or don't have anymore and need to move into that today or uh, what a, what a side story to this, this party that happened on the weekend. Um, finally, Lee Wren again is uh, Remax executives realty on homeowner protection from parties had this to say on connecting Winnipeg this morning on what the purchasers options are after this situation. I mean, anything, yeah, anything's under, like, this will sure is still under uh, investigation or whatever word it is, because I don't know all the, the details of the party. It sounds like the earlier guest had more kids at his house than these people did for <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> but, right? Uh, yeah, my goodness. Um, however, it, it sounds like these folks probably have a lot of different recourses and options ahead of them. And if they do want to go through with the purchase of this house, uh, if it is in bad shape, the, on, the onus most likely is on the owners to get it fixed and uh, taken care of. So that is Lee Ren again, REMAX Executives Realty, just talking about the legalities of this. And, and we are talking about the East St. Paul Party 
and and the different angles that came out of it on the weekend and and at the foremost uh was arriving to this party the rcmp and then stopping a, a potential sexual assault um to the fact that their vehicles were being vandalized they were being spat on um the social media aspect of it of, of some of the occupants or some of the party goers filming this we're going to hear from christopher schneider of the university of brandon on that aspect of it in the next hour of the jim tilt show but um, that's just another fallout of this is this house has been sold and was supposed to change hands today. And from all indications, it is an open investigation still, but we're being told that much of the house has been destroyed or at least damaged. Um, and then what the people purchasing this home do and what the owner currently is trying to do probably to get it back into the condition it was. Um, we'll continue to follow this story and the uh, outbreak of this. The other part of this is I'm wondering on our text line at 780-6868, uh, the relationship you have with your kids, and if they're at a party like this and they call you, can you go get them? Would they call you to go get them and get them out of there? And uh, if you did hear about a party like this going on, do you call your kids or do you reach out to them and say, I'm coming to get you? All those kinds of aspects of it as well. And the other thing we're going to delve into when we uh, hear from Christopher Schneider about the mob mentality is, again, just the idea that these parties go on and once the mob gets going, the idea that you want to wreck things, you want to destroy this house for whatever reason. Um, so we'll continue to see some fallout of this as we go forward as well in hour number two of the Jim Tills show. But up next, after the 2 o'clock news, we're going to talk Movember on 680. This is a Movember song. This is Movember music. This is if you're out there thinking of whether or not to join our 680 CGOB Movember team, this is mustache growing music. You put this on, and I would think in a day or two there's stubble at least. On 680 CGOB. Sarah, hour number two. Lots of texts coming in about that party in East St. Paul and people reacting, uh, wondering again if you have that relationship with your kids that something like that's going on, they'd call you, come get them, or you go get them and everything else that's falling out about that. We appreciate Lee Wren, the uh, realtor, weighing in on some of the legalities of a change of possession of a home that's been damaged due to a party. And we're also going to get into the social media aspect of it and the mob mentality that took place on the weekend uh, with Christopher Schneider of the University of Brandon. We'll do that later on in this hour. We're also going to talk to a local author. But right now, I'm very happy to... Well, if you joined us on uh, Jets at Noon today, you found out that I may or may not have told Cam Poitras, who's had a beard since 2014, to not tell his wife that he was shaving off the beard and mustache, which I don't think she's ever seen him without it, and joined Movember without telling her. I can't recall if I gave him that advice or not. But regardless, he did it. He looks fantastic, and Movember is underway. So to talk about it, we reached out to Movember Canada, and spokesperson Shane DeMerchant is joining me now. Hi, Shane. How are you? Hey, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. Uh, with uh, Movember starting across Canada, across the globe uh, today, I thought we'd revisit some of the history of it and just remind people how it all started and, and what the uh, initial, um, I guess, path for Movember, uh, where it began and how it's grown to where it is today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before I do that, uh, give my kudos to Cam. Love that story. Uh, 
if it if it helps dull any trouble he'll get in at home, tell him I'll send him out a November T-shirt uh, or something to sport while he's waiting for the mustache to come back in. There we go. Um, there's 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 ways <laughs> to fix any of the relationship. You're right. Good job. Yeah, exactly. No, it's for it's for a good cause. So that's that's why we love those stories. But uh, yeah, that that was a great question, Jim. This is actually November 16th uh, annual month long campaign in Canada where we raise funds and awareness for prostate cancer. Uh, testicular cancer and men's mental health and, and suicide prevention. So we're 16 years in, uh, but yeah, it kind of started as a kind of a gentle challenge between a few friends, um, even bef- even longer than 16 years ago um, in Australia in 2003, where they were joking about parts of men's fashion that were once popular in the 70s and hadn't hadn't made its way back into fashion. And the the thing that they keyed in on was the mustache. So. They, along with 30 friends, grew uh, a mustache uh, during the month formerly known as November for 30 days. Um, and, yeah, started some really important conversations. The thing that they kind of hit on in that first year was that a mustache has this unique power to start conversations along the way. And, and they channeled that into, into some conversations that aren't happening enough around, around men's health. So, so a lot of work that's gone into getting us where we are now, but that's kind of the that's kind of the mustache and November origin story. And having grown up in the eighties and and thinking that I was going to be a private investigator in Hawaii, living in a guy's guest house and driving a Ferrari, I was all excited when I first was introduced to Movember thirteen years ago. I jumped on board that first year and I've been doing it ever since. But the real reason I did it was I lost both my grandparents to cancer. And we all know how that can affect uh, everybody. Everybody knows somebody uh, either directly or indirectly that has been touched by cancer. But the, the, it's grown so much. But let's start there. You mentioned the conversations and, and the idea that I just loved mustaches grew on me because it's the conversation starter of why are you doing this or what are you, why is it there? And then it goes into you got to get checked. You got to get checked for prostate cancer, testicular cancer. Too many men are far better off if they address it and, and do it sooner than they do. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, early prevention is so important. Um, and yeah, I think we all know, uh, this is, this is a generalization, so it's not true of all men, but I think a lot of men are kind of reluctant to, to follow some of those health seeking behaviors, whether it's checking in with their doctor or, or when something doesn't quite feel right, asking those questions, um, one in eight men in Canada will be diagnosed with prostate cancer during their lifetime. Um, and when prostate cancer is, is caught early, uh, which means that it's, it's isolated to just the prostate, your chances of survival beyond a five-year period are infinitely higher than if it's caught after that. So your chances of, of surviving more than five years are, are, are higher than 95%. Um, if not, it goes down to about 25%. So, so it's important to talk with your doctor about those screenings, um, Get a PSA test, uh, especially if you're if you're over 40. So yeah, if you've got someone in your life who's turning, or sorry, if you're over 50, so you've got someone in your life turning 50 this year, uh, chat with them about it. Uh, my dad, I've I've been growing a mustache not quite as long as you, Jim, only about 10 years, so you're 13 years. Although I, I will say I, I I checked out your November page and you do have a Tom Selleck look. Uh, in, in oh your wow! You do have that going for you, even though Shane. <laughs> now we're best friends, buddy. <laughs> Great mustache, but yeah, my my dad, uh, he will turn. Let me do some quick math. He'll turn. He turned sixty-two um, a month ago, and every year when November comes around, I ask him about his prostate, and it doesn't get any less awkward. But I know that he gets himself checked every year, and fortunately, he hasn't had any scares. But like we said, 
Um, one in eight guys will be diagnosed with prostate cancer in their lifetime. And, and same with testicular cancer. Testicular cancer, most commonly diagnosed form of cancer for younger guys. Uh, so between the ages of 15 to 35. So even the teenagers in your life. Uh, a lot of the people who I've gotten to know who have, who have gone through the testicular cancer journey, they found out when they moved away from home. It's an embarrassing, what seems like an embarrassing conversation to have with your doctor. But again, it's something that... Um, the positive health outcomes come with that early detection. Uh, so if you feel like something's wrong, uh, chat with your doctor about it. And, and if, if you want to even read about what that means to have testicular cancer or how to check yourself, then you can check out our website, Movember.com. Specifically on testicular cancer, we've got a cheeky tool. It's called Nuts and Bolts. So you can read all about it uh, on there. That's what I love about this campaign too, Shane, is um, just the fun you have with it. Like it's uncomfortable, but you make it in a way that it, they're, the November campaign, there's conversations that, you know, just that what you mentioned there about that one page is is, is humorous and, and the best way I feel to uh, delve into those uncom- uncomfortable conversations. Now, I'll be honest with you, after about six or seven years, I was kind of like, well, maybe I'll take a year off or something like that. And then it evolved into mental health awareness and suicide prevention. And unfortunately, I've had some friends and, and even family member lost to suicide. And, and every single one of them um, always have a smile on their face. Every I can't remember a time where I was interacting with friends or, fa- or the family member that they weren't happy. And, and so that stood out to me. Tell us about how uh, Movember has evolved into that um, to the point of, of where you're helping with mental health awareness and suicide prevention. Yeah, you, you nailed the timeline there, Jim. Starting in 2013 in Canada, we started to invest in, in programs and support for men's mental health. Um, I, have a, I have a story very similar to yours. In, in 2015, I lost a good friend uh, to suicide, and, and I would say that our relationship was, was pretty similar to what you just said. He, it, he, he's someone where he was a he was jokey, he was smiley, and it, and it, and it really caught me off guard. Um, but to give you some of the stats around it, three out of four people who die by suicide in Canada are men. Um, and unfortunately, it's the second leading cause of death for, for young guys in Canada. So um, between the ages of 18 and 35, we're losing way too many men to suicide. Uh, and, and, and like you said, the campaign, we are, we're about having fun and doing good. And the mustache is a bit of a Trojan horse, so... It gives you the opportunity to have a conversation you might not normally feel comfortable having. Um, I can say with my friend, we didn't we didn't talk about mental health enough. We talked about sports and we talked about um, having fun and and uh, yeah, we chatted every day, but we didn't talk about mental health enough. Um, and the mustache kind of gives guys a little bit of permission to do that where they might not be as comfortable. I, I mentioned nuts and bolts earlier. I'll point people to a different one. That's a tool that we've created. It's called Movember Conversations free to everyone it's online uh you can check it out at conversations.movember.com and it's really just designed for all of us to have better conversations with guys about their mental health so if you do have someone in your life you'd like to check in on and you're not sure how to get the conversation started or you're worried about saying the wrong things and then that's a really cool cool tool that will that will just um upskill you and give you some of the tools that you might feel like you're lacking yeah and my point to that about my um uh, experience with it is and them always smiling was the fact that if they weren't I would have asked and and that was my right, point right. about this awareness is that you know it's not like I just didn't want to talk uh, have an uncomfortable conversation it's that if I had any indication whatsoever I would have asked and I would have gone down that path so I think that's why this is also important 
Now the right. other the other thing I want to touch on before we go, Shane, is like we we're gonna have a team page here at 680 CJOB. A bunch of the staff members are jumping on board, but I, I want all genders to be involved in this. And Movember has also evolved into having the most sisters campaign and very involved and the motion where where anybody can sign up and join and just do 60 kilometers, um, uh, or sorry, kilometers of of activity this month at their own pace. And it's a great way to get all genders involved. And, and I want to emphasize that today that we we want everybody that wants to be involved to be involved with us on our own page or just in general at Movember.com. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's not all just about mustaches. Uh, I normally say that women can get involved in, in the same way as men, just without the mustaches. So like, like you said, there are a couple of different ways to register. When you go to Movember.com, you can register to grow a mustache. You can also register to move. Uh, and that's where we ask people to either uh, run or walk for 60 kilometers over the course of the month. Um, there's some significance to that number. It, it represents the 60 men that we lose to suicide globally every hour. So essentially one every minute. Uh, so that's the move campaign. You can also register to host an event. I've chatted with some people in Winnipeg this year hosting some, some cool events and November concerts, um, a, a scotch night in Winnipeg. So, so if, if there's an, if, if there's an event that you've been looking at, uh, getting back off the ground again this year, then, um, lots of people registering events, obviously, um, according to what we're all feeling comfortable with these days. Um, and there's also another way to get involved over the last couple of years. Um, we allowed people to register and, and uh, it's called Mow Your Own Way. So whether that's you're challenging your, some, yourself to something new this month, you want to start to go back to the gym, or you want to get into cross-country skiing, or you want to teach yourself how to cook meals for your family for, for uh, 30 days in a row, uh, it's kind of challenging yourself to something new, uh, all, in the, all in the name of men's health. So, so lots of ways to get involved beyond just the mustache. Yeah, indeed, Shane. I appreciate this. Happy Movember to you and everybody at Movember Canada. Thanks for sharing. And I know we'll have the local branch of the Winnipeg Movember on, uh, I think they're on the morning show, but we'll touch base with them as the month goes on as well. Thanks for this, Shane. And again, if anybody wants to get involved at all, we will be putting on our social media a CGOB team. We appreciate any support of joining or just donating, but also Movember.com is uh, just a great place to go and, and uh, be your own individual if you want to do that as well. Thanks, Shane. We appreciate it. I appreciate it, Jim. Anytime. One nineteen here on a Tuesday. We're going to talk to a local author about a new book with a great local angle. We'll do that after the 2.30 news. Uh, just to wrap up some news out of Jets practice today, Rick Bonus was back, the head coach. And uh, unacceptable is what we're hearing a lot of. I'm paraphrasing, but both from the players and the coaching staff, unsustainable is what I should say within the fashion in which they went into Las Vegas and the style of play they were playing that game mostly based on Connor Hellbuck. Now, the, the bad news is Nick Ehlers. Um, Coach Bonus referenced the fact that uh, he's not healing as fast as they thought they would be. He's going to be reevaluated, and it doesn't look like he will be a, a part of the Winnipeg Jets on-ice roster anytime soon. He is on IR right now, and he's going to get more evaluation done, but he was not on the ice today. The other news was Mason Appleton. Uh, that right side on the top line, he, of course, was filling in for Nick Ehlers through the past couple of weeks while uh, Nick has been injured. He left practice today, and um, he will be evaluated as well uh, and uh, find out more about that. Now, uh, we'll get on, get on more of that in the CJOB Sports Show tonight and throughout the afternoon as well. I do want to get to these clips from uh, University of Brandon Prof, Christopher Schneider, who is on the start this morning, and it has to do in and around that uh, party that raged in East St. Paul over the weekend. 
Um, and now the role of social media video videos that are being played or being a part of the investigation. Here's what Christopher Snyder had to say about that. Well, these are puzzle pieces of a larger criminal justice puzzle, as it were, in terms of the investigation. Something that the public should note is that this will actually, depending on the volume of the footage that has been shared, it will slow down the investigation because what ends up happening is when these materials are shared on social media, the chain of custody is broken. In other words, people can Photoshop, doctor manipulate, deep fake these videos, or at least the accusations could be that's happening. And this has to be proven in a courtroom that the video is actually what it is you're seeing and just a piece of the evidence that the RCMP will provide. So that's Christopher Schneider of the University of Brandon. He joined the start this morning here on 680 CJOB. He was talking about the uh, role of social media videos in tracking down perpetrators but also got into the mob mentality. We'll get into more of that in just a second, but here's what also Schneider had to say, and if the person posting the video or videos could be culpable in this investigation. Well, I mean, it it depends if they're also engaging in in law-breaking behavior. Uh, Other things to consider as well, um, young offenders, right? So in the research I've done with the Vancouver riots in 2011, there were several young offenders' names who were circulating on social media, and again, that's a violation of, of the Youth Criminal Justice Act. So if there are recordings of young offenders who have been accused and these are being shared by people, that could potentially be a violation. Christopher Schneider also on if identifying suspects in social media videos will deter police. Well, no, absolutely not. I think, you know, because one of the things with the the police and police work is the crimes that are brought to their attention by the public. The police often have to investigate, especially if there's a large outcry about it. So, I mean, that's going on here and that the videos have been shared. We're now talking about it. And also, I think this situation seems a bit different in that the police have suggested that that they, in fact, were attacked. So when you have police officers being attacked, um, that's a whole different issue in that the police are going to want to investigate. And likely they're going to want to come down pretty hard with charges. As they should to these kids who attack them, I would think. Uh, Christopher Schneider, that's only my own personal opinion. Christopher Schneider on the fear of missing out on big events, and now we're getting into his thoughts on mob mentality. I think there's something to that, sure. I mean, the G20 in in 2010 in Toronto, the largest mass arrest in Canadian history. Um, I think when these events happened, like the 2011 Vancouver riots, you know, that was in the the shadow of the Game 7 of the Stanley Cup playoffs. These are situations where, you know, people want to be present because there's a large crowd. Uh, Usually it's fun until it's, it's not. And uh, being present, being there is a part of participating in these acts. Also, uh, you know, when you, people, I think, are sort of naturally inclined to be interested in, in violations or disruptions of the status quo, we all are. This is the, the rubbernecking effect. When you're driving down the road and you see a cop who's pulled somebody over, everybody slows down to see what's going on because the fact that the police officer pulled somebody over and there's police engagement, this suggests that the status quo has been disrupted, and we all want to see that. So I think there's definitely something to that. Christopher Schneider also on mob mentality, which was clearly there on this party on Saturday night. I think what's interesting about the mob mentality that there's a whole literature in sociology that's been over 100 years in the making research literature on mob mentality. And a lot of it, I mean, it's, inc- it's actually incredibly complex. It's hard to boil down to black and white. You know, people see something, they engage in these actions. Uh, really sort of when you unpack that is people who decide, I mean, they, they, they're they rational actors. People are rational actors, right? They, they see somebody, you know, smashing a police RCMP vehicle or something, and then they make the decision to then do that as well in that context. 
they decide that maybe I won't get caught in this situation because everyone else is doing it. So I'm also going to participate. So if mob mentality was a thing in the black and white sense, everybody would engage in these activities. Whereas we know that there are bystanders who don't do this because they know it's wrong and they choose not to participate. And that's what I never understood. And again, I go back to my own youth years and years and years ago about when your this stuff starts happening, the people that, oh, I'll do this. And it's it's always, in my experience, the people that I never thought would be involved in any of this. I understand you're there and it's going on, um, but to actually jump in and start doing stuff that I don't think if it wasn't, the person wouldn't normally be doing it if there wasn't other people doing it. It just... That mob mentality, I find that fascinating for what uh, Christopher Schneider had to say there. Uh, lastly, Schneider, on blaming social media for doing things you wouldn't normally do, this is something we delved into a little bit on what social media does. I think absolutely. I mean, a part of it, we have to be careful. We can't blame social media per se. Uh, also, that suggests sort of a technological determinism. But rather, you know, one of the, the logics of social media is to go viral, right? We want to get likes on our status update. We want to get likes on our selfie. And by doing things that are, we might call, extreme violations of the norm, these videos typically tend to go viral. And we see circumstances of people with pet tigers and things, you know, on Instagram. Uh, those go viral because who has a pet tiger? That's crazy. Uh, attacking a police car, uh, smashing a police cruiser, shooting fireworks at police and filming it, that's crazy. Who does that? So those videos tend to get more attention. And I think the people who are shooting these videos, recording these videos, they know that. To the ones jumping on the RCMP vehicle, I'd like to have you on the show 20 years from now. We'll rewatch the video and see how you feel about it. If you're out there listening, contact me and we'll book that date. I don't know if I'll still be on the air 20 years from now, but I'd love to have that conversation with you to look back 20 years from now and go, was that you on this RCMP vehicle? How do you feel about yourself? 780-6868 if you want to weigh in on any of that. We're going to talk to a local author next on the Jim Toth Show on 680 CJOB. Julie Buckingham is going to join us in the next segment, as will Skylar Peters. Skylar in for Richard today. We'll find out what's coming up in the news. And don't forget, our question of the day is up at cjob.com. Go there now and vote. We'll get you some results in the next segment as well. Also, we'll get to back to some of your texts. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on everything we've been talking about today at 780-6868. I welcome in a uh, father and his daughter now to the program, Myron Love and his daughter Ava, about a new book that has come out, but it's not really new. We're going to delve into that uh, by all means. Uh, first of all, hi, Myron. Hi, Ava. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, do we have Myron and Ava? Yeah, yeah, yes, we're both I'm here. Oh, there we go. Thank you for joining us today for, for doing this. Myron, we'll start yes. with you. Um, uh, this is a, a story. Tell us about the, the, the title of the book, first of all, and how it sort of was written years and years ago, but now has become into the book format. It, uh, it's called The Wrong Place in the Wrong Time the wrong time of the wrong place, Canadian Airmen landed Buchenwald. I've been a writer for over 40 years. Early in my writing career, I was introduced to a gentleman named Harold Bastable, very much involved, active in the Legion St. James, and uh, I heard a story. He had been in prison in Buchenwald for two months in 1944, uh, part of a group of 24 Canadian Airmen, 168 Allied Airmen, who had been shot down over France after D-Day, rescued by the Maquis, Betrayed to the Germans, thrown into friend prison because they weren't out of uniform. And when the Germans evacuated the prison before the liberation of Paris, 
they shipped everybody, put everybody into these sealed box cars and shipped them to Buchenwald, where they languished for two months until somebody figured out they weren't supposed to be there and transferred them to a regular POW camp. So Harold, uh, while I was interviewing him, let me know. He had the names of all of the other Canadians, and they cause let me know there's going to be a reunion in Victoria. This was in 1981. So I paid to attend the well, I paid my way own way to attend the reunion. I'd written about him in the Free Press, and interviewed most of the Canadians. I think all of those who are still alive. I worked on the book for seven or eight years. This is before computers. Uh, before email, I was working on an electronic typewriter with one page of memory, and uh, because I was writing, working full-time as a journalist and uh, business was growing, I didn't have a lot of time to devote to, to, to the book. And so finished it maybe 1989, 1990, and then I couldn't get a publisher. I got a lot of, well, we do one or two books a year. Sorry, not for us. Good luck. A uh, couple are willing to publish if I put in $5,000, which... I couldn't afford it at the time and didn't think I should have to. And one publisher said, uh, too long for an article, too short for a book. And that's where I left it. Uh, I, over the years, I would try to do something with it, but nothing really worked. Um, so I left it there, and then my daughter surprised me for my birthday by um, showing me a copy they published on Amazon. Well, that's where the story gets uh, real interesting, and, and good on you for writing it and then, you know, not getting rid of it and keeping it for all those years, Myron. But then, Avery, right. you stepped up and, and had what I think is just not only a great gift to your father, but a great gift for all of us who get to read the book. But tell us about how you stepped in and, and made this happen for your dad. Sure. Well, I self-published my own book of short stories earlier in the year and had great satisfaction out of seeing it in print. And I wanted to do something special for my dad's birthday. He's He's been a, a wonderful supporter in all my endeavors. He's been the greatest proponent behind um, my writing achievements. And I wanted to do something different from chocolates and gift certificates for books. And my my story was still recent in my mind. And I thought, you know what, if he has the file around, I'll ask my sister. We can get it uploaded, put together a cover, and give him a copy to look at himself. It was, a, you know, a small thing, but I knew it would, or I thought it would mean a lot. And what did it mean to you, Myron, when you first saw it? Best birthday present ever. (laughs) I envisaged uh, originally when I was writing this book that uh, if I could get it published, I had some idea in terms of marketing, calling bookstores, arranging press conferences, because these fellows lived right across the country. And I had actually uh, spoken out loud, which probably what I gave gave my daughter Elena the idea that, you know, or Anavra the idea that, uh, you know, Maybe I could publish on Amazon, too, but I thought at the time, nah, all these fellows I wrote up and are no longer living. Uh, how would I market it? Uh, so I let it go, and then they surprised me. Gives me a whole new stream for my... I, I'm sort of semi-retired, and uh, I've still got... I, I've been a writer for over 40 years. I still have maybe three, four publications I work for, but it's uh, not nearly as much as what I used to do. This gives me a whole new avenue for my energies, and I'm quite happily uh, marketing it and promoting it. Awesome. Both books, both books, actually. Yeah, that's awesome, Martin. And Ava, I wanted to talk to you a bit about this because obviously it's a great gesture and a gift for your father, but this is also an important story. Like, I, I have concern about these stories not being around, um, given the fact that most of the people in this book, I, I would assume, have passed on now. So you've done a great thing for your father, but you've also done a great thing just for us as, as readers and, and historians and Canadians to know these, this story itself. Yeah, I, I hope so. It's, um, 
my, my father's always had a great interest in history and has done the research, and it's, it is important, I agree, to, to share these, um, yeah, these, these pieces. I guess um, I didn't ask you a question there in, a, in your comment, you know, but my question is, is um, like, did, did you realize that when you were doing this for your father, that also this is just whether the author was your father or not, that this is a great, important part of history to have in the book format? Yeah, no, for sure. It's uh, it's very intense. I've I've read a lot, researched a lot myself about um, about World War Two, World War One, and one keeps coming across more and more stories that haven't been told. So, to to bring out this piece about so many lost voices, lost names, and they they came back to you know came back to Canada and carried on, and uh, there's. Uh, their history might might not have been known to to many people beyond their immediate circles. Right, for sure. Myron, let's get into the book itself, because you yes. mentioned you went uh, out to Victoria on your own yep. dime to sort of talk to these gentlemen. Um, I can't imagine what that would have been like. I, I did, there was over 40 years ago. I remember the Victoria Inn uh, where, well, with the, you know, the Empress Hotel in Victoria where it was held, I met several of the fellows. Uh, I went back the next year to uh, re-interview a fellow named Art Kinnis. He was one of them. He was the he had been become appointed himself the gate well the keeper of the flame, so to speak. He put out a regular newsletter to all of the for all of the former POWs. He was the secretary, and he had a lot of material. Uh, but it was uh, quite an interesting experience. Gave me a chance to see a different part of the country, certainly. Uh, a funny story though there is uh, so there was a press conference and my friend Harold uh, he was on at the table and he started going on about the Deer Lodge Hospital about the time at the time it was being government was federal government was uh, returning turning it to the province and he was really upset about it. Unfortunately, that's what the uh, news reporter covering the press conference uh, picked up on. So the emphasis in the story was more the. Uh, Dear Lodge Hospital within the POW reunion. He felt really bad about that, but you never know what somebody will pick up on. Right. Um, and so along those lines, did you ever lose hope that this would be published? Yeah, I really had given up on it. I, I had uh, A couple of years ago, I had actually sent what I thought was my last manuscript to the uh, local armed forces base uh, because uh, prob- with the potential that they might have been able, willing to publish it in their magazine, I uh, thought at least it would be shown somewhere. Actually, this is the I had tr- tried another book also, a biography of George Eliot, who used to manage the airport here. Again, worked in that for a number of years and then couldn't find a publisher. Uh, I certainly don't regret uh, doing these. Uh, interesting experience, and Harold became a pretty good friend for a while, and so did George Eliot. Well, that's great too. And you write something like this and get to know those gentlemen on that level that uh, you yeah. become friends and and part of the story as well. Have you heard from any of their families about the book and and how mm-hmm. how they're happier whether Not that it was really. published? I mean, I've, I I really don't didn't know much about their families when I was interviewing them. I did look up Harold Bastibold, the uh, obituary, and uh, found the names of his sons. And I was able to reach one of his sons in Vermilion Bay, Gord. He bought two copies of the book. Uh, but the others, um, I tried um, contacting the uh, the newspaper in Carmen about doing something on Don Clark, who was one of the POWs. Um, they were still looking into him. 
um, haven't gotten back to me yet. Uh, and I don't know if he had any children. Uh, I know he was born and raised in Carmen, but lived worked most of his life in Montreal. And I'm going to try to um, locate some of the children of some of the other uh, fellows uh, and see if I can reach out to them too. But a uh, little difficult to do. We'll see what I can do there. Yeah. For sure. The Wrong Time, The Wrong Place, Canadian Airman Land in Buchenwald. Yes. That's the name of the book. Where can people get it, uh, Myron? They can get it on uh, Amazon, uh, uh, the, either hardcover, softcover, or uh, uh, ebook. It's also going to be available at the Jewish Book Fair, as is my daughter's book, Into the Junk Door and Other Stories, which will be from, uh, I think, November 12th to November 19th at the campus. And um, I'm also uh, arranging to, well, we can arrange to have the book shipped directly from uh, Amazon to potential buyers in return for either e-transfer or sending us a check. Or I'm de- I've ordered in bulk uh, about 150 copies, which I'm delivering. So we'll leave the phone people, leave the book in the mailbox and pick up a check or a cash. Um, delivering in areas I, I frequent, so River Heights, Tuxedo, Garden City, West Kildona, and Charleswood downtown. <laughs> awesome. Not only did it finally get written, but you also helped delivering it. That's great stories, Myron. And Ava, yeah. right before we go, uh, tell us about your book and where people can grab it. Okay, so my book is available online through Amazon as well and can also be found at Chapters, uh, the Polo Park location. It's a series of 35 short stories. There are a little bit surreal. They're whimsical. I've got a number of different metaphors, plays on words, and the tones. The tones range. Um, there's there's one about Miss Opportunity who comes knocking with opportunities door to door, and the way different people respond to opportunities. One of my stories is about the human mood ring who changes color uh, as his emotions change, and how hard it is to cope when somebody can see your sense your reactions when you're an open book, um, and just a variety of different pieces. Some are a little more more spiritual. Some are based on, on my personal experiences and have been adapted to a more abstract form. They're, they're very short. Uh, yeah, they were, were fun to write. Well, that's great. I, I think it's a great story. I'm glad the book finally got published, and I, I love the fact that uh, uh, Myron and Ava both you have this connection through writing as well as being uh, father and daughter. So thanks for sharing your story today. I appreciate it. And thanks for having us on air. Yes, of course. Myron and Ava Love. And once again, uh, if you are interested, uh, both books are available right now. And the one that uh, Ava did get published for her father after years and years is The Wrong Time and Wrong Place, Canadian Airmen Land in Buchenwald. We'll take a break. Uh, Julie and Skyler are next, as well as the results for our question of the day on 680 CJOB. It is, as I look at the clock right now, 2.50 as it just turned. Uh, thank you for joining us. Question of the day is up at cjob.com, and it's brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. If you gave out Halloween candy on Monday, how many kids came to your door? Under 50? 51 to 100? 101 to 499? Or 500 plus. Under 50, 72%. 51 to 100 is 17%. Just 7% saw over 101. And 4% of you saw more than 500 kids come to your door. 
that's a community. That's a community of people right there at your door asking for candy. Thank you for weighing in at cjob.com. We bring in Julie Buckingham and Skylar Peters, who's filling in for Richard Cloutier on the news coming up at 3. My prime trick-or-treating days. That would be like my entire town going to that one person's house. Yeah. I lived in a town of like 500. Like I said, I had to drop something off at somebody's house last night in the south part of Winnipeg, a big, huge neighborhood. Never been there before. And the street that this home was on... It, I I don't know. It had to be 500 people at least, and it was one well, of those they didn't blocks. Come to my place. Yeah, with no sidewalks. And so as I was driving, like two kilometers, I kept getting stared at, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to drop this off before eight. And I was like, Do you want me to get out and push it? Like I'm not going very <laughs> fast. I'm sorry to interfere with it, but it was my point to this was the neighborhood was absolutely buzzing for blocks, and many people had their garage door open, and the owners of the homes. We're like sitting there with a, a a little mini fireplace fire and and parties were going on. It just was like it seemed to be like the I, I reminded myself it's we're still in a pandemic, but the pandemic has lessened to the extent where people were out and about more than ever in the well, past couple and, of years. And being outside is great. And I you know I I think somebody said uh, on Kathy's show they had over two hundred kids in South Point. Um, that's not I had thirty five, so I have exactly nine. But they fruit can't get the into foot. that gated community. Here. I know. I have nine fruit by the foot left. Like um, the security around there is like <laughs> Bel Air. But I will say the kids were surprised. I, I was like, I don't know. I'm getting these fruit by the foot because the pickings are slim. They were happy. I was like, okay. Good to know for future reference that the kids like the fruit by the foot. That's a solid treat. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Now on to the Skylar Peter part of this show is first and foremost, uh, like a slap on your belly with a wet fish. The mustache is gone, and we're on to clear skin yes. for November. Skyler was the first to jump on board. I put out the call last night, and he got back to me, and he said, you got it. Jim Toth, you can't you can't see me. We have cameras that, that look at each other in, in each booth, right? The yeah. one that's pointing to me isn't pointing to me right now, okay? I can see you from up above. Oh, okay. You first can't of see all, me. put a oh, shirt hi, on. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> put a shirt on. Second oh, of all... Boy. That you look dynamic already, I and I can't. I look like I'm great. 19 years old, about to host a three-hour radio show on 680 CJOB. I look wildly unqualified to do this job. There you go. You look like you needed to be ID'd when you came in the door. Seriously, Are you old enough to be here. Security guard was giving me the old side eye. I'm like, buddy, I was here yesterday. Now I heard the discussion on the start, and I think you did too, Julie. Where there was some leanings towards the mustache that you did have prior to restarting today. Um, how can I paraphrase? Disgusting is what I think I heard Lauren McNabb say. <laughs> she has never oh. been a fan. Which is disgusting in itself if it's are we, described Are we that being a, about specific mustaches? Yeah, I think she was okay. specifically about to Skylar. Which yeah. I, yeah, don't like it. I think don't li- I've been vocal about it. I think she, Julie, I think both you and Lauren have misspoke a bit. I think the word you were <laughs> searching for is dynamic and dashing. Elegant. Elegant. Like Robert Goulet. I I'm came sorry, around the corner one day. It's elegant in a like 1940s black and white detective film. Yes. And if Cluche jumps on board, which I know that's why he's away right now, is because he's he trying. Preparing. He can't. The Dennis Franz is on its way. The NYPD blue Dennis Franz Cluche is on its way. All right. Now, well. Julie, we're, I want all genders involved. Are you with us? Are you coming on board? Are you going to join our Movember Mo Sister? Is what we're looking I for. I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I've been vocal about, you know, and, and many women have. Like, this is now, like, November 1. The armpits and the legs, you know. Let Maybe we just say that's it. Not, yeah, not Sweater weather anyway. Yeah, it's exactly. all good. Di told me she does it for six months every winter. So, yeah, I'm in. That's what she told me when I saw her yesterday. Sounds about right. I don't shave my legs for six months. I'm in, Tolf. And I'm like, you got it. Fired up. Woman of action right there. I like <laughs> but see, it. see, no one has to see ours necessarily. Well. So just, there is that. It's the, anyway, yeah. we should talk Let, about this What's show. coming up on the news? Yes. Um, coming out of the gate with a story that dates back 15 years to the community of Portage La Prairie. We'll talk about an unsolved murder and also speak with one of the daughters of the victim. We'll also uh, chat with Bernadette Smith. I thought the whole missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls license plate that they want to come out with, I thought that seemed like it was kind of a foregone conclusion. Just had to go through a couple of more hoops, design that kind of thing. That may not be the case. And and if you're trying to save money because of inflation and maybe because you had 500 kids at your house, Jeremy Bradley will join us, the author of The Official Guide to Being a Winnipeg Cheapskate. His best-selling book is is a decade old, so we'll revisit that with him. I'm sure he's got some up-to-date tips. Lots of winning as well, Jim. Uh, Three-hour show, three contests, one per hour. Nice and easy math. Even even you can do that one. Uh, we're <laughs> going to give away a couple of tickets to see Simply Sinatra with Matt Dusk. And, uh, of course, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the West Final. We'll find oh, out yeah, who they face this Sunday. Uh, we're going to air the West Semifinal between BC and Calgary here on 680 CJOB. Well, the Sunday after that, you can go to the darn game with free tickets if you win our contest. We've got two of them coming up today. And Shania Twain tickets as well. And Jim, I think you like the uh, Blue Bombers contest we have because I got mm-hmm. a new cell phone. Yeah. And like random bombers are calling me on oh, my wow. cell phone and I don't know who they are. So I'm not trying to brag or anything, but they wow. got my digits. They got your digits and they're using I just don't them. know who they are. So Interesting. people will help me out. And I got three contests in three hours. So two into three could be into the fourth hour. There is no fourth hour. I'll figure it out. Okay, the news coming up at three. I look forward to it. Thank you both. I'll figure it out. Alberta math here. We'll get it going. Thanks to Tyson for making the show go today. Thank you for listening and participating. Have a great night and keep it locked to the news next on 680 CJOB.